The following thoughts, views, and opinions are not necessarily those of 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo or Western Michigan University. You are listening to the WSA Hour only on 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo. Uh, My name is Taylor West, and I'll be your host of this week's edition of the WSA Hour. Um, Today, we'll be discussing residence life, Um, and we have some guest speakers here today. Um, But I would also like to introduce our panelists. So it looks like we have um, our VP of University Pride, um, our Chief Justice of WSA, our VP of Sustainability is joining us today for the first time. Woohoo! Also our VP of Diversity and Inclusion, a VP of Allocations, VP of Student Affairs, and then our Executive Vice President, Jacoby Wright, as well. and then we have some fellow guest RAs. Um, so again, everybody will be talking about um, WMU's residence life and housing. Um, and we're going to have some great conversation today. So I guess the first question to pose to the group, and we can kind of just bounce around, um, is how impactful do you think residence life is on the entire university? What kind of weight does it have? I think it has a a huge weight because they're in charge of, especially the first year student experience. Um, You know, a lot of first year students do live on campus and, you know, their experience living in the residence halls um, and, you know, the things they experience are incredibly important to the success for their, you know, future years. So I think it, it, it has a huge weight and impact on campus. I agree with that. You know, when you think of college, you know, when you're in high school, it's a large part of what you think about, too, is just like that on-campus experience. And especially considering that, you know, depending on what hall you end up in and the experience you have there, it can make or break a lot of people's experience. Yeah, I would say that when people or um, as transfer students, first-year students, when they first come to to Western, they're kind of like, ah, uh, I don't know what's going on. Like you have your fall welcome group, maybe if you participated in welcome week. And um, that kind of, I remember like my first time or first night in the residence hall, I was like so scared. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm actually in college, like this is crazy. Um, and then my RA, um, I remember she kind of had an open door policy and I felt like more comfortable that um, she was, able to help me you know just in case I needed that option I didn't go talk to her I'm pretty sure I did only talk to her like three times the whole year but just knowing that I did have an option to go talk to her was was great Uh, yeah anyone else I don't know if too many RAs that do that in general like I feel like a lot of the times I mean especially with COVID being rampant through everything at the moment like I feel like that's kind of discouraged but even before this whole pandemic I felt like you know RAs were just kind of like yep we're here but you know having that open door policy is definitely something unique. I think some of us you know I think we try to for myself at least I try to make sure that my residents know that if they need me I will be there but otherwise you know if they it's not necessarily an open door policy like I respect Taylor's RA for doing that um but like especially given this year I just yeah. There's a fine line, especially, Definitely. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried to have an open door policy the first couple of weeks of school. And to be honest, it just kind of got creepy just like having my door open. I was like, people just walking by looking in. Um, No, thank you. So now I just have like a note that's like, hey, 
I'm here, like, if you need me, knock, but otherwise, leave me alone. Don't be peeking in kind of creepily because it's a little weird. But, you know, there is an aspect to it where, like, you are there for when they need you, but you're also not their parents, which is also something that they have to get used to. Like, you're not, like, monitoring every step of the way, but you are an amazing resource that can help them be better throughout their career. Yeah, and I tell my... um my residents in my first year of being an RA, I was like, I'm not your mama, like not the house mom. I don't know what um, you've seen in movies or what you've heard from other universities in terms of like what RAs are supposed to do, but like, I'm not here to like police you or anything. Um, I'm just here to keep you safe. So if you're doing dumb stuff, like I'm going to call you out on it, you know? And they were like, oh, okay. So you're like, you're not trying to be my mom. I'm like, no, I have no interest in doing that at all. Why would you like it's it's the whole accountability aspect, I think, that really is the main role of the RA, at least in my opinion. Yeah. So kind of a follow up question. This is to the whole group, seeing that some of you are not involved in housing. But um, if you all could touch on what your experience in housing, assuming that, you know, we've all lived in a residence hall at some point in time. What has your experience in um, or um, Western's housing res life been for you um i guess i'll just jump in and quick say like i've my first year i stayed on campus and the past two years i've been commuting quite a distance from um campus and building those foundations and those relationships in my first year i lived in the business like honors section so it's really kind of a niche group um, but it's also people that i currently study with so making those connections is really strong and so um housing in general was like one of the most pivotal factors of my retention at Western. Um, it wasn't necessarily because of other things up until a later point, but for me, housing was kind of that first influence into college life, and as others were saying, into adulthood. So I think housing plays an important part, and my experiences have all, were very positive. Uh, so like for me, I lived on I lived in Western Heights my first year when I came here, and I would say that it was kind of a mixed emotion. Like I liked it because I liked the fact that it had air conditioning. It was nicer dorms. However, I didn't like sometimes the atmosphere. Um, and I didn't really think that my RA in particular really kind of helped facilitate any sort of like connection between us girls. Um, if there was ever really a conflict, she didn't really know how to handle it herself. She was kind of really shy and to herself, which is different than what my friends had with their RAs. So I think for me, it was kind of mixed emotions. I also lived in the Heights and I do kind of want to point out like I think that there's like such a weird housing disparity at Western if anyone knows what I'm talking about and like we're gonna see it even more with the new housing that's coming out um on Stadium Drive which I don't know if anyone else I when they were talked about like Stadium Drive looking new and fresh like the new building was not what I thought that would be um it to me it's quite um startling uh but yeah they built you know a high rise that was super expensive that's going to cost an insane amount of money and we even see that on campus i mean we have the fancy new heights and yet we have people who live in the valleys and there's just such a disparity in our housing that like shows you know the disparity in income at western like the median income not the mean you know like the average out of everyone at western is i believe around 40 to fifty thousand dollars a year and so that means about half of our students are below or at that average income. And yet again, we're building like sky rises for them. 
Um, and so that's something that's really startling about Western's housing to me. Let's kind of go just off of that about how I know I've heard a lot of stories from the Heights, Ashley um, and Emma. So I'm glad you all touched on that and kind of the atmosphere and maybe the lack of inclusion and diversity in that aspect. And then also we can go into further discussion about, you know, what the discussion was around them building Arcadia Flats, that that student forum they had where that where they sent that guy in to say something that was not appropriate. Um, and that started some some controversies. So we can we can dive into that. Now, coming from um, this is my second year as an RA. My first year I was in the little three, uh, which for those who aren't familiar, it's right by the new Arcadia Flats. And the decision uh, for our buildings to close uh, came as quite a surprise. But one of the big things that they said as a reason for why they were closing the was because they felt that the quality of living would be so greatly reduced because of all the construction. And yet they had to open these buildings to deal with the overflow because Arcadia Flats wasn't ready for residents. And it was... Um, I personally don't think that the Little Three should have been closed. I don't think any buildings in that area should have been closed. Um, partly just because the communities that were there were very strong. They were established. And I think that decision to close those was a great loss to the housing community just as a whole. I would totally agree with Meg's statement. Um, I have been at Western for a few years. Um, I'm in my fourth year now. Um, but my first three years, I lived on campus, and um, I lived in the Burnhams, um, one which they said that they closed this year. I heard they closed a few of them. Um, they kind of touched on it with the whole, like, who was allowed to, you know, be in there and why or why not they were opening it. Um, but even just going back further, like, they've kind of been just gearing towards rebuilding WMU instead of like actually taking care of the buildings and like the areas that they already have um like in the Burnhams that alone I remember I had to move out of my dorm one week because the bathrooms flooded and we were right next to it so they had to tear down our whole wall which they did not put back up they, they put up like some board and like drilled it into the wall basically it was actually crazy but what I really want to touch on is if you guys remember the, I, I believe they were called the Elmwood Apartments. They were, there were 26 of them. They were lettered A through Z, like across that side by like the Burnhams and like the little three. And it was like, it literally just lined like ring road. Um, and I knew so many like people that had lived there when I came in my freshman year. And, you know, there was just, Kind of like what was mentioned earlier like that community that like tight-knit like these are the people who you know have been here have you know made a place for themselves and like made their friendships and then you know we left for a summer and came back and all 26 of the apartments were gone i knew a lot of international students who had lived in those buildings and like where, where were they supposed to go? Like, then they're pushed into more expensive housing. Nobody really asked for Arcadia Flats. And now all of a sudden we're getting something that most students can't afford anyway. So it's like, okay, well, you barely have housing as is. Now with COVID, they close more. 
it's like, like it, it's just about money at this point um and like what is available because why are you know the uh what is it western heights that's the freshman one that um ashley and emma mentioned right yep okay why is western heights open like when they have like open bathrooms like they say they're not open but like a stall door is not any different than a shower curtain um and like a lot of students lost out on housing like when this all happened you know uh i i know students who had been applied and like set to be in the burnhams or in little three and then they got kicked out like when the view of you talked like came back to you know finally talk to them and tell them what the situation was so there's just a extreme lack of like compassion or just like the putting students first that that's missing there going off of your points dahlia um i personally also lived in uh western heights my freshman year and it's very interesting you mentioned community because i didn't really feel much of a community there um within western heights and i'm sure that situation is similar um a lot of the time i feel like uh, more privileged uh, students like myself are able to enter into those spaces but you know that begs the question of like what what are we doing to um allow for less privileged students to live in those spaces and if not you know why is that idea not being uh i guess talked about or mentioned at the administration it's just very interesting to me and also, like, yeah, the lack of community aspect is pretty, pretty saddening. I want to yeah. build off that because I think that's such an interesting point. And I'm like, there's all this rebuilding and all this restructuring at WMU. And I think that students are kind of starting to catch on. They're like, who are we rebuilding for? Because it feels like, and, you know, we, you know, I worked in admissions and we brought in a company um, and, you know, and they brought in a company who told us about, you know, giving tours and a student of color who was an admissions rep, she said, what, what, what are you doing to, like, work to help increase admissions for students of color um, and, like, lower-income students? And they couldn't ask, answer the question. So I think that we're building a Western that doesn't look like Western now, and, like, we've lost. Like, Western has lost because they're building a community that isn't meant for its student population and all these decisions. They're just kind of waiting us out. They're like, yeah, one day we're going to get all the Chicago suburb kids and all those wealthy families and these students will be gone and they don't matter anymore. And so it kind of feels like we're getting like, I don't know. I loved Western because it was quote unquote diverse. Right. And now it feels like they're trying to stop that. There's so many non-traditional students that aren't seen at this university and international students that aren't seen. It's like housing is like a main way that's evident. I just want to hop in here um, just to tell you all we're going to take a short break um, and just give a thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the WSA Hour. 89.1 Wider FM, online at WIDRFM.org. You're listening to the WSA Hour only on 89.1 Wider FM. So what has the compare, and we can kind of tie in the last question I asked about your experience um, to get some other voices in there, but what has the comparison been from past year res life experience to this year's res life experience? Because I've been hearing that, especially from student employees now, that 
the COVID impacted year is putting a lot more stress and weight onto the position given previous years where it was like more fun, enjoyable type of job. Um, so what are we feeling from that? And also people who aren't currently in res life or, or associate with res life can still tell their, their side um, of their housing experience when they lived in the um, I can go ahead and hop on here and, and start this one. So this is my first year as like a ResLife employee. I was a student my first year. I lived in Henry, rest in peace, Henry, um, that Henry got caught up in that whole, you know, Western Heights, little three um, situation. And I actually had a room in Henry and got kicked out um, and had like, it was like four days to decide what the heck I wanted to do with my life. And I eventually got hired by Res Life. Um, and I mean, it just seems like we, anyone who wasn't able to go to Western Heights or find an off-campus apartment got shoved in the valleys and is having a terrible time in the valleys. Um, I mean, it's separated from everything. I know my, like, my, you know, experience as an employee has been, you know, terrible down here in the valleys. I mean, it's just, it just feels like, you know, a dark dungeon of Western where there's like, where they're like, okay, you can't, you can't work or you can't afford to live in, you know, this housing or off campus. So we're going to throw you down here and you're not going to have a good time. And I've heard that it can be fun. I've heard that, you know, there, there are times where working in res life is really fun. I have just not seen it. Um, and thus I am probably not returning next year because, you know, it's like, if you can't prove to me that you're going to be a good employer during tough circumstances, I feel like I can't trust you in better circumstances. Yeah, um, I can speak on like my first experience as an RA. So my first year, 2018, um, it was like really fun. I put a lot of energy into the position though. It kind of drained me towards the end of it. But I did develop a great relationship with all of my residents and really felt that I did a good job building a community. Um, I lived in the Burnham, so I had all the athletes. I had my basketball babies, my baseball babies, and then my soccer boys. Um, and they had, and just seeing a kind of collaboration and like friendship build between these different sports that may not usually happen because they are different sports and it's very siloed. Um, they also found a chance to like hang out in the hallway and like when they saw each other, they eat lunch together. And, and then after the year was over, they all, um, respectively had gotten like, you know, apartments and were each other's roommates and stuff. So I felt like I had done a really good job doing my part as an RA to build that community. Um, and then going to my second year as an RA, I took a little step back because it was, for those who know my first year being RA, they like to just kind of walk into my room unannounced, like, who are you? Um, but so then my second year, I took a little step back and um, still were, were there for my residents and stuff, but kind of going to this year, um, it's really different, especially with programming and attempting to build a community and to keep people safe. That's what I feel like the main priorities of an RA is, is to build a community through programming, talking, connecting with residents, and then also keep like being safe or keeping um, safety in the hall. That's why I say that we're like glorified property managers at this point, because we are like facilities management. We are everything in this hall. Um, it's different now because um, during training, we have training every year in August, right before school starts and before um, welcome week to figure out like kind of what 
new policies are out. You know, when they had legalized um, marijuana, we had to have a whole separate training for that to figure out how we could deal with that. So in learning new policies this year, they thought it would be inform or very informative to have a town hall per se with all of the student um, affairs staff to answer questions that RAs had and how to deal with the semester. And from what I heard and from what I witnessed, it was not informative. And if anything, made people really, really scared for the year because they didn't seem to have answers. And the number one question that was asked is, what is the total cap um, that Western has in terms of shutting down? And they said, oh, no, we don't have a number. We don't have a magic number. And that's when we were all like, oh, and looked around the room. We were like, well, we're screwed, you know, because it's like, how are we supposed to work for a university that, that that is kind of playing things by ear and doesn't necessarily have a plan in place? Um, and then in terms of programming, we're like, how are we supposed to safely program and build a community if people are afraid to leave their rooms? If people, because we're in a pandemic, which is, and people obviously don't want COVID. So how are we supposed to be creative in doing that? They're like, oh, look up things online, you know, be creative. You, you can do virtual events, have people come get like supply bags and then go back to their rooms and do things. I'm like, how do you promote that in like a positive, positive spin on it to get people involved who have been isolated for however many months during the summer, they come back to school purposely to try to connect and have that um, a little less isolation. And we're supposed to be creative and programming, but students don't even want to come out of their room. So it's like, well, you just have to try. And then I feel like RAs are get even more scared now to even mess up because they're afraid of like losing their jobs or being seen as like not as good as previous years because it is that added pressure of trying to build the community within a pandemic. That whole big brother idea of like, oh, if I, you know, misstep. Uh, I, you know, like I'm going to lose your, lose my job. And you know, I'll say this too, like from a slightly different perspective within um, being a member of the sports club council, like we have a COVID plan we have to follow. And it's like, you know, we all have to uh, adhere to this policy. And it's like, there's that idea of, you know, what if we mess up? And it's, it's interesting that we feel that way, even though it's it seems to me that like the university doesn't really have a clear process on like uh a lot of things honestly and and it just carries over into the um ra department as well and i just want to say real quick jumping off of taylor's point about the programming as well is that um you know we were told that we would still uh be expected to put on programs in this you know completely different format and they slashed our budgets and they slashed them hard. Um, I think like when we worked it out for my building, it was comically small, the amount that each of us were, um, you know, technically had for our programs. And so they're, you know, they're still expecting us to do these things. And yet they, uh, you know, we just don't have the money. So then we're expected to put in that much more work to try to figure out like low budget options and things that don't cost a lot of money. And it is just another layer that has made it incredibly difficult to do that for our residents. I am, I wanna hear from other people on the call as well. Um, I know I'd like to hear from other members on the call about their res life experience. I'm calling out Chelsea and Jacoby because we were all in Henry together. <laughs> and that's when I met them, these lovely, 
cookie birds. Um, and I want to see how your experience was in Henry um, freshman year. I can go. Uh, I had a great experience in Henry freshman year. It was definitely not what I was expecting when I came here, but it was kind of the experience that I needed to understand what college was really going to be and to get to know my peers and to figure out how to rebalance uh, school versus social life. And that was an experience that I needed, but I know that that's not the experience that students are getting right now. And seeing, you know, all those diverse communities on campus kind of get slowly eliminated, a bit disheartening, I would say. Um, I, again, I feel like I had a fantastic experience freshman year and didn't even know that I was living in an aviation hall. So I got to find out about a whole major while I was living there, and that was pretty cool. But I definitely feel like there's something to be said about what Western is losing by trying to reclaim a community, like Emma said, that isn't there. I can chime in before my phone dies, but um, um, I'd say that my experience in Henry was pretty great. Um, I met a lot of good people and have a lot of strong friendships. Um, I met Taylor at Henry, um, so I guess that's indicative of how the first year experience was, because we've been together ever since, um, her and her roommate, and um, all the people that were on like my floor. Um, I got really involved with like the leadership council and I started the poker club um, with some of the people that lived on my floor. So I think it was a really um, good experience um, and good transition to college. I feel most people should have. Um, Henry was a a very family-esque environment, so I really appreciated that. Would you still give the same advice to first-year students in a pandemic now in terms of their involvement in the residence hall their first year um, in comparison to yours? Like, would you promote living in a residence Um, I think that's kind of hard to say because uh, um, some people have a great home life and some people don't. So if you don't have a great home life and you want to get away, then get away, run as fast as you can. Uh, but um, Again, if, you, if you're not going to have the same experience because of COVID-19 and the restrictions and the closing of the common areas and things of that nature, so you're not going to be able to um, interact with the you know, same amount of people and grow and develop as many friendships. So it might be you know, smart to save money and stay home. So I think it's, it's hard to, to answer that question. I think it's really dependent on the individual. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean... I can't speak for all residence halls because, you know, I only lived in Henry with you guys. And I can say that of the people that I knew around campus, they had similar experiences where being in a residence hall felt like, you know, your own little weird family of people that you didn't really know and that you're not totally going to know. But when you walk through, you see familiar faces often enough. And to come here and not necessarily have that, it can feel as isolating as maybe even high school felt. And I don't know if that's for everyone, but like Jacoby said, uh, home life is a pretty big factor in whether or not this is for you, especially when you're not going to get a big change like you might be wanting. Yeah, thanks for answering that. Um, To my uh, people involved in housing, would you say, kind of going off of Chelsea's point about being like a a weird family, weird community type of feel, do you feel that between the staffs that you um, work on? How do you feel like COVID has either bonded or not bonded you to your um, Um, I've never been on a hall staff before this year. So um, 
it's been quite the experience. Um, but I definitely think without COVID, we as a staff would not be as close as we are just because we have had to rely on each other so heavily, you know, in different aspects, like figuring out programming, figuring out COVID procedures, you know, duty shifts, desk shifts when people are in quarantine. Um, you know, it's just been a whole wild ride. And I definitely think it's brought us closer together in a really good way. And we're using that bond now to advocate for further change um, that we see fit, which I think is like amazing. And I wouldn't change, you know, COVID and this bonding experience for anything other than maybe, I don't know, a normal year. No, I definitely agree with Lila. I mean, I, I think I mentioned before, but this is my second year. And I, you know, we were, we were on good terms as a staff, but we were nowhere near as close as my current staff is right now. And I do think that all of the struggles that we have faced due to the um, absurd amount of things that we've had to deal with has had a big part in why we are so close. And I think another factor that does play into that as well is when you have so many things coming from our lead team and our upper administration that they just sort of dump in our laps and expect us to, you know, do all the work essentially. Uh, having that support has been essential. And I know that without the people that I have on my staff, I probably would not have stayed long in the job. We here at WIDR Kalamazoo are committed to providing a great listening experience to you, the listeners. We hope that you continue to practice safe social distancing and do your part to help flatten the curve. Embrace the new normal and stay tuned for more Radio Evolution. I want to run this um, email that I got past you all and see if we can... um, kind of discuss our feelings about it so just to give some background um you know how you all would like you know after 8 p.m I think it was you'd or maybe 5 p.m you'd check your ID at the front desk to show that you live there um so then they could you know check the roster and be like okay you're all set and you also go into the front desk to get packages and stuff cool so we have been asking since August if we were going to do resident check-ins because obviously there's a strict no guest policy given COVID and everything. And given at the town hall that I was talking about earlier, they have said that, that we're not going to do resident check-ins. And so we're like, well, how are we supposed to know if people live here if we don't have a roster to do check-ins? And they said, well, you're supposed to get to know your residents. And we're like, okay, but what about other people's residents? Like we still don't know everyone in the entire building. And so now we've pushed that enough to the point where we're starting to do resident check-ins. We started, this is the maybe third week, second week we've started doing them. Um, And then we've also added um, the screening badges that the county health department is now requiring people to do, which I'm like, okay, cool. So um, I got an email asking kind of about the harmful risks that come with showing those badges. Um, This comes from a way earlier discussion a couple of years ago, um, the Office of LGBT Student Services um, had been finding this fight of, 
um, providing funds for students to get their names redone on their um, ID badges to match their um, preferred names. And so we're seeing that same problem with the COVID screening badges. Um, and I got this email about um, the COVID badges are harmful, risky, and could be um, unsafe for the student, uh, quote, dead naming. Um, so using the original birth name of that student instead of their preferred name. And um, Nate Nugent, I don't know if you all know um, him from the Office of LGBT Student Services, but he had a quote saying, um, oftentimes it's, you know, the given name is a very like binary type name. Um, it's for male or female name. When you identify with the name, it can be very risky as far as safety. So what do you, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I know when I got this email, I didn't even think about it. That wasn't something that was on my radar, but hearing what I had just said, what do you all feel about that? Do you agree? Um, what do you think? Even if WSA could have some part in that, do you think WSA should? Yeah, so I want to jump in right on this. Um, as you all, a lot of you know, I, I identify in the LGBT community. So um, I think that this is a really relevant issue. And I think that this is an issue that stems from when we um, aren't including the right people in decision-making processes. Like, uh, yes, I think it, what is happening here is a tech issue. I think that, right, the way that they generate these name tags is from taking whatever name is in the database, but it's something that was overlooked um, and has yet to be corrected. I've heard students and have had different conversations about this too, um, about why hasn't this been changed? Um, and it's really disheartening that we still haven't taken action on it. Um, not sure when that email came through, but um, my suggestion, I guess, would be for WSA or other student leaders to push back on this and make sure that this gets changed ASAP. Because uh, as the email stated, and just kind of a general knowledge is that um, dead naming can be very harmful to people in those communities. So uh, it's important that we make that change. And it may not be as, um, I guess, a big of an issue for some people as it is for that community. But um, as an institution, we claim and promote diversity and in inclusion is missing from that decision. So my suggestion would be that we should try and get that changed ASAP. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. As someone who works in a residence hall, our job is to make sure residents are seen, heard, and respected. Um, and that that does not align with any of our goals as staff members um, to, to provide that safe space for students, even if, you know, it's it's a situation where, you know, their, their family accepts, accepts them and this is the first time that that's, the situation's happened or whatever. It is our job to advocate as, you know, allies and people who are meant to protect um, the, you know, these communities that I, I agree we do need to push back and advocate for this change because personally I think this is absolutely unacceptable from, from Western. I didn't know this was a problem and it is obviously a problem and this problem needs to be fixed like tomorrow. I would agree with both those statements. Um, honestly, like Western, you know, claims the diversity and inclusion, but if we're not, you know, having actions and that support that and support students, then it's not actually the case. Um, so I think that lack of like diversity and inclusion at Western, you know, if we want to start addressing it, this would be one of those instances where we start, you know, there, there's a lot of different communities at Western that are often overlooked and unheard. Um, so if, if, a community is even reaching out and requesting something of 
Western or of WSA, you know, it, they should be heard. I didn't know if anyone else wanted to chime in on that one, because I know when I had gotten that email, I was like, man, yep. And I remember we've been having this conversation when um, I remember Nate got on stage because he was a judge at the drag show. Um, 2000, I'm pretty sure it was 2018, maybe 19. I'm, no, I'm pretty sure it was 18, talking about this very deal with IDs. And um, I had just assumed that it was taken care of, but seeing that we're seeing the same problem now, um, I, I think it's just ridiculous that we're having to have the same conversation um, over and over and not taking into consideration um, different groups. So yeah, thanks for that commentary. Um, I want to give thanks to our listeners who are listening to the WSA Hour only on 89.1 WIDR Kalamazoo. I just had a thought about, um, because we keep coming back to these ideas of representation and like Mm -hmm. um, the administration's lack of like, um, yeah, like lack of willingness to show up and like notice that. So like, what what are the ways I guess people would envision that um, from the student perspective of like how they could better include um, folks? I don't know. That's very vague, but something food for thought. I feel like one thing that we as student government really push for is um, transparency. You know, and I think like tell us why you're making the decisions you're making, and we'll be a lot less angry about the decisions you make, which sounds like a really like simplistic line of thought, but like somehow it isn't. Like I feel like a lot of times Western makes its decisions from a monetary sort of ro- route and that's okay, right? Like we get it, like uni- public universities are funded 80% by our tuition dollars, only 20% by the state and that's just gonna continue to get slashed and slashed and slashed. So they're put in a hard position too. But when you make these decisions based on financial things and not our well-being, maybe you should be honest with us about it. Like, that's kind of how I feel now. Um, and that's really frustrating. Um, so when Jacoby and I had gone to our housing meeting with, you know, different representatives, we'd asked, like, so understanding that the the reasoning for keeping the Heights open was because of the um, – increased privacy with how the stalls went all the way to the bottom or something like that something so technical and I was just like that really is not making any sense so could you just tell us it's about the money because it's a new hall that you all just put up and don't want to close it exactly what Emma said like it's seeming like these decisions are all monetary based but if when you're slapping other excuses on it it infuriates students because it's like we know that it's not that like we it's something that technical, like if it's really that, I'm like, sure. But you can tell us it's about the money because this is a large corporation. That's the way I think about this, a business deal. Um, and you all, and then what it is. It's exactly what it is. So why can't they just say, yep, yeah, it's about the money, you know, and we'll be less furious. Like exactly what Emma said, the transparency and the effort in that. It's like they're afraid to say that. And it's, I, I feel like it's this whole, like, uh, I don't know this whole measurement game of against other universities, it's like, well, oh, we're going to fall down and like crumble if we don't, you know, spend a bunch of money in different places. Yet the whole, the whole student body is just like not accounted for at all. It feels like, and, and I, I, I over-exaggerate a little bit probably, but yeah, go ahead. Meg. No, I feel like that's definitely where a lot of the frustration comes in that like Western is so dedicated in the most annoying fashion to promoting themselves as this like 
inclusive, diverse university, but every action that they make feels like a business decision. And it's them like trying to, like we are privy to that because, you know, those of us who are involved in res life or those of us who see the inner workings more so than regular students, we can see those decisions a lot better. And so I think we feel it a bit more closely because it is just so frustrating when it's so clear that these are business decisions and it's decisions about money. And yet they try to make it seem like it was for the good of the students. And it's the best decision for the students when in reality, it's just about the money. A lot of rhetoric and a lot of misleading information, I feel like. Definitely. So I kind of want to leave with this question. And if other people have questions, please go ahead. Because this is, again, the discussion. But um, for my people who, um, I guess this can be open to everybody. Like, what is your fear in working for residence life right now? And then also to people who are not working residence life, what is your fear for other people, including residents being in a, in a hall? So speaking as someone who hasn't worked in residence life, but definitely has heard a little bit about the inner workings, my concern mostly is the lack of accessibility of housing options for students right now, um, especially given that they closed down the Burnhams, they closed down, I, I don't really remember all the buildings they closed down, but, um, you know, just that this idea of throwing everyone at the valleys is just not, not cool, like, that is one way to definitely lose students for the next year or even semester if they even make it that far. Like, there's just a lot of factors that I feel like um, the university is just kind of turning a blind eye to at points. I totally agree with that. And that's definitely one of like my main long term concerns with um, residence life and housing. But like, one of my and I know a lot of other people's immediate concerns is like the safety and security of students because a lot of the policies that they have put in place either puts residents at risk or puts RAs at risk. And I think that's completely unacceptable. They're banking on a lot of 18-year-olds to live together, not talk to each other, not spread germs to each other, to sit and like in their rooms and do nothing. And that's just not realistic. And it is very harmful to the environment, the communities, and people's health and safety. And so I'd like to see Residence Life take a good, long, hard look at their policies and how they're affecting the people it's supposed to serve. Um, as someone, that, and while she jumps back in on the call, as someone who works in Res Life, um, I am fearful for the students in the hall not, you know, like, yes, COVID, like, obviously, we don't want them to get COVID, but it's kind of just sad seeing, like, it's kind of just sad being here and, and not, or in seeing what was and now what is, and these students, especially for first years, who are coming from, like, an isolated summer, um, and then coming back to a residence hall to, again, like I said earlier, trying to get that, you know, human contact, not, like, physical contact, but just being around people, um, but then having to do it differently in terms of programs, like, I know probably Lila and Meg, can speak to this when we're doing programs and stuff like especially in person or so and we have to do them outside or in the lobby and like spread them out or whatever we get so many people like involved in programs um 
But once we start getting a lot of people, it's like, oh no, like this is way too many people because everyone's like, yeah, like I want to do this program because I have nothing else to do. I don't want to be in my room. And it's just like sad because like then we get this high spike of anxiety, like, okay, like we might have to shut this down because there are too many people. And I know, especially during Welcome Week, a lot of um, FYE facilitators um, had, had that same fear of, of having these programs and, and figuring out how to do them safely. But then there are just so many students who are feeling the same amount of pressure and wanting to get out of their room and stuff that it's like, uh, like we can't even give you all what you want because of COVID. And I think it just all comes down back to COVID. Like I just really, I'm pretty sure we can speak for all of us when we say we wish we could go back to the way things were. And that's why I'm just like kind of sad and fearful for those residents who can't experience the full amount of what it means to be in a residence hall, like from Chelsea's story um, and Jacoby's story earlier about living in Henry. Like I had a great time in Henry, um, but I don't think the residents can ever get that full grasp of what it means to be like a kooky little family um given now like they can have their little niches and their little groups and maybe some residents that live on their floor but it won't be like the same and that's what sucks like the most to me and going off of that i think something because you know we had our staff meeting last night and something that came out of that for me uh was a very strong feeling that they as far as you know ras go it sounds like they were banking on the fact that some of us will be more comfortable doing things like that than others. And, you know, something that was brought up, it was, how did he phrase it? It was like, you know, if you aren't comfortable with it, then maybe there's somebody else on your staff who is. So like with running off of Taylor's example, there might be somebody on staff who's more comfortable, you know, having that program and like with that large amount of people. But the just the inequality that that creates and the tension and the stress between the staff, it's not something that we should have to deal with, but it is because then that puts undue and unfair pressure on, um, you know, the RAs who are comfortable. And it's, it's something that I don't think they thought through as far as the implications go. And it just makes our job that much harder. And it's just another brick i guess on top of everything else that we're expected to do with the budget and having to deal with covid and it's just an absurd amount of pressure we may be engaged in social distancing but that doesn't mean we can't still be safely social find 89.1 wider fm on instagram at widr fm you just finished listening to the wsa hour only on 89.1 widr kalamazoo Tune in next week at 5 p.m. on Monday for more riveting content.